Welcome home. Welcome home. I'm so glad you're here. Um, uh, praise God. Uh, he's got uh, a good word for us this morning. Uh, our kids are going to be with us again this morning. This is like Haley's Comet. It, it, it only occurs like once in a lifetime. Um, we had our business meeting last week, and in the last weekend of, of every month, we, we do a family service so our kids can, can see how we praise and respond to the word. So uh, be patient with us. We're going with Children's Church next week with a vengeance, and it's just going to crescendo throughout the year. Such big plans there. But for now, if you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, I want you to come up here. We want to talk real quick about what we're going to be. Come on, come on, come on up. Um, you don't have to be afraid of me. I have no sharp edges. <laughs> right? It's a good thing. Come on up. Come on up. Hey, buddy! And I love that shirt. Western State Wrestling, you part of the team? No? Come on up. Come on up. Okay. All right. Stand right there. Stand right there. Okay. I got something exciting for you guys. You want to hear about some really bad stuff I did when I was your age? Yeah? You think that would be cool? No, I want to hear some funny stuff. Some funny stuff? We have, do, we, uh, do we do funny stuff here? Yeah. Sometimes. You what? You want to hear what I used to do? When I was your age and friends would invite me over to their house, if I liked their toys and stuff, guess what I would do? Yeah, yeah. I would steal them. Yeah. Like, at that time, like, baseball cards were huge, and comic books, and action figures, and games and stuff. And one time, yeah, I would take them. I'd take him for me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I would do. See, I'm afraid that none of you are going to invite me over to play anymore. But I'm, 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 I don't do that anymore. One time, I had a cousin who had a corncob pipe. Yeah, I was like five. I didn't even smoke, and I took it. I took it. Is there anything bad that you guys have done? Any, anything really? See, if you say it now, there's like no punishment when you go back home. If your parents don't know. Anything really bad? Gracie, come on. Wait, I know something funny. Okay, what's that? Um, when my, when Gigi was little. Yeah. Um, she go to the zoo. Yeah. And she got the, and she found the spider monkey. Yeah. And one time when they were there mm -hmm. seeing the spider like monkey. It. Yeah. Um the spider monkey threw a banana at her sister. Oh wow. <laughs> See, I would have gone to the zoo. I would have stolen the fire the spider monkey. Yeah, that's bad. Do you have any friends that people you play with that are just bad kids? They're just bad. They're always doing bad stuff. Yeah? Do you have any people you know in school or anything like that? Nobody? Because, like, you could say their name and they'll be on the podcast. Well, yeah. Well, and maybe we know their parents. Well, all my friends. Yeah. Ethan, I didn't steal anything. You didn't. No. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. But you know what? I'm not a stealer. I'm not a stealer anymore. And you know what? Whatever you do, you're not that anymore. You don't have to be, because with Jesus, we can all change. We can all change. Do you know that? I want to change. You I want to change. You want to change? They change their music 
Do. Yeah. A ballerina. You're a ballerina. That's great. You know what? Okay, but we're going to talk later and you're going to make me laugh, okay? But here's the deal. If we've ever, like, been mean to our brothers and sisters or disrespected our parents, not done what they said or not done our chores or something like that, or been mean to the people that are our friends, or not talk to the person who has no friends, who's real smelly. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. God can change us, and we can all be good. We can all be good because he's good. And nothing that you did before has to have anything to do with what you're going to do today or tomorrow. Let's have hands in the front, in the middle, everybody. Jesus on three. One, two, three. Jesus! All right. Now, go back. And love on your parents. And this week, I want you to show them how much you love them, okay? All right. Now, you go back to them. I'm going to yell at them a little bit, okay? God bless you. All right. All right. I guess we need a little... I'm hearing it. We need a little bit more humor. It's getting a little heavy here. The kids are saying, yeah, you're showing the videos. You're talking about fires and stuff. Yeah, we need a little bit of lightness. A little intro. We got a... A quick teaching for you. Um, Acts 9, that's where we're going to be. We're going to talk this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one under the seat in front of you. That's yours to keep if you need it. We want you to have one. That's our gift for you, free. Uh, If you just need it for today, just use that. Acts 9 is where we're going to be. We're talking about reputations. You have a reputation. You do. I have a reputation. Actually, we kind of have two in reality. One is the things that people who know us or think they know us would say about us. And the other one is what we would say about ourselves. Knowing ourselves the way we do, what we would think and say about ourselves. Now, those might be the same or they might be different. The reputation we have with others and the reputation that we have and the way we think about ourselves. But here's the thing that they have in common. That our performance or our behavior or our lifestyle in the past, in the past, determines for people and for ourselves, for many of us, what the present and the future is going to look like. That the past is the key to what's going to come in the future. And uh, your reputation with others and in your heart, um, I have very uh, disturbing and, and, and news of a great danger, but then there's great news too. The, 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 the great danger is that the reputation that you have with others, the reputation that you have for yourself in your own heart and your own mind might be controlling you might be limiting you, might be choking the life out of you, might be ransoming your present and your future because you use your past to determine what your present or your future can be. Now, this is something that all of us can relate to. Here's the great news. We don't have to be destroyed. We don't have to be destroyed as we've never imagined. The incredible news is this. Jesus has called us all together. I don't believe you're here by chance. I don't believe that you came and you just decided this morning, it's a beautiful day. Church would be a good idea. 
I believe that he's called us all together to unfold and speak into our hearts through his word and through his Holy Spirit this beautiful, life-changing, transforming truth about your past and your future, your reputation and your spiritual reality. Here it is. Here it is. That you can be set free from your past. You can be set free from your reputation. You can be set free from the pattern that has dictated your life up to this point, whether you're a follower of Jesus or whether you become one today, that Jesus is into 180-degree turns. That's called repentance. And that, that's what it means. It means agreeing with God and turning around by the power of his Holy Spirit. You can be who you never dreamed you could be. You can be what others who are watching your life never imagined that you can be. You can be what you cannot be apart from Jesus Christ. And it has nothing whatsoever to do with your jacked upness and your sin in the past. Your past does not determine your present, and it does not determine your future. That is the great and glorious news. Regardless of what you've done, how you've been, or how long you've been in that rut, it can change in Jesus Christ. He is into 180-degree turns. Now, before we get into Acts 9, and we see the truth of that in Scripture, uh, we're talking initially about bad reputations. If you have a good reputation, great. We're going to get to you later. Um, but I have a reputation for enjoying food. Some would say that I enjoy food enough for two people. I have what doctors sometimes call a little bit of a weight problem. I have gone through most of my life being the fat kid um, at family barbecues. When we were all there, they'd ask what I want on my hamburger. I would tell them a hot dog. Now, if that doesn't change, if that doesn't change, it's going to kill me. I'm on four kinds of medication every day. I sleep with a machine to make sure I breathe. That's jacked up. That's jacked up. And if you were a betting person, you might be tempted to put money on the fact that if you saw me again in a year... And judging by some of your church attendance, seeing me again in a year is probably about right. You got me? That I'd still be fat. Don't bet on it. Why? Because this battle that I've fought for 44 years doesn't determine what my present is or what my future is going to be because of Jesus. Because what I need, ultimately, is not a behavior change. What ultimately I need is a heart change. I need to stop depending on food to be that comfort, to be that encouragement, to be that crutch for me. That needs to be Jesus. If I get my heart right, my behavior will fall into line. See, a lot of places, a lot of Christians get this all reversed. They got a long list, of do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's a checklist. What we need is a heart change. If our hearts change, then our behavior will take care of itself. And I have more problems than just that. 
you know, that's like the external. I got heart trouble. I mean, problems. I'm not going to share it all with you because, you know, if you knew everything about me, you wouldn't want me preaching to you. But if I knew you that well, I probably wouldn't talk to you. So we're even there, right? But I know this. As it, as it applies to my weight, as it applies to the other things that I wrestle with, that Jesus has set me free from so many things. He has set me free from, from uh, from rage. He has set me free from uh, lusting after people who are not my wife. He has set me free from the pride when I go out to eat and feeling like I need to pick up the check so that people think I'm successful. No, you're paying. You want to go out to dinner now? Don't think so. He has set me free from wanting to hoard every new DVD movie. I have a room dedicated to that sin in my life. Materialism. He has set me free from liking Barry Manilow. He has set me free from so many things. And because Jesus is Jesus, he can set me free from this and everything else, regardless of what my reputation is, regardless of what other people think of me, regardless of what I think about myself. How about you? How about you? In what ways could you change that people who know you, that people who look at your life would be absolutely amazed and astounded that that's coming out of you. See, the change, change doesn't happen that much, right? You know this. You know this. If you've hung around churches, it doesn't even happen in churches, and Jesus is all about it. You know mean people who've come to church, and they're not mean all the time, just when they're breathing and awake. And if you knew them 10 years ago, they were mean then. And you know them now, they're mean now. And Jesus is not about that. He's about transforming us. Transforming us. What is it about you? What have you said to yourself? I have always been this way. I'm always going to be this way. I just have to deal with it. I just have to accept it. It might be the way you do relationships. It might be the way you've done your marriage. It might be the way you've done friendships or parenting. It might be the way that you've worked. It might be the things that you've hungered for. It might be your anxiety. It might be, I don't know. It might be the way that you've given yourself away sexually because you, you've wanted love and acceptance and, and to feel beautiful. just the way I've always been. It's probably the way I'm always going to be. I just need to accept that. That's a lie. That's a lie from the enemy that wants to keep you in a rut. And the only difference between a rut and a grave is the depth and how long you stay there. The good news is this. Jesus is risen. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus has come and offered new life so that regardless of what people think of us, regardless of what we think about ourselves, everything is on the table to change. 180 degrees, the way you've always been need not be the way that you walk out of here today 
need not be the way that your future is. In Jeremiah 29, 11, God says to your heart, hear it, hear it. Put your name in here. For I know the plans that I have for you. Your name here. Plans to bless you and not to curse you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Amen? Amen. Acts 9. We're going to pick it up in 18. Bring up to speed. Um, we're talking about Saul. Saul was knocked off his horse. He was an enemy of Christ. He was worse than any of you, than any of me here. And, and Jesus appeared to Saul. He was arresting Christians, families, taking their children away, taking the men and women. He was putting them into prison. They were being beaten. They were being killed. And he liked it. And he had dedicated his life to this. And Jesus appeared to him and knocked him off his horse. He blinds him, sends him to this guy's house, and then sends a believer from Damascus where he was heading to, to arrest people. This guy's name is Ananias, and Jesus sends him there to touch Saul and to heal him of his blindness. And so here we are. Here we are. He finds out that his past does not determine his future. Verse 18. And immediately, this is after Ananias touches him, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight, and then he rose and was baptized. Okay, so... The three things happen here. Ananias touches his, his eyes. He can see. He can not only see physically, but he can see who Jesus really is. He can see who he really was. Uh, it makes sense to him that those things are polar opposites and that he has lived a life that has alienated himself from the God of creation, the hero, the savior, the king, Jesus and he could see for the first time. And that's what he does to us. We ask him to open our eyes. Let us see ourselves. Let us see you. Let us see your mercy. Let us see your love. Let us come to you and find that new life. So he does that. He does that. What does he do then? He rose. He rose. He got up. He stood up. He picked himself up off the floor. And he responded. When Jesus reveals something to you, you respond. We have a time of response. This church is about response. The Bible is about response. That God reveals himself in your circumstance, in his glory, and unpacks for you the life that he created you to have, which we have ransomed on the altar of, of, of sin, of things that we wanted in our own passions, or the right things that we wanted, that we fulfilled with the wrong things the patterns of our life. And he says, arise, respond. That's what he did. He doesn't save. He does, Jesus does not reveal so that we can sit in the place where we were. He says, arise, for I have risen. And, and Saul rose up and he was baptized. He was baptized. He said, I'm going to go public. I want to jump in with both feet. I'm going to make a public identification with your death, with your burial, with your resurrection for me. 
because Christ, you identified with my sin on the cross as my substitute in my place, absorbing the wrath of God which I earned, and you have given me your righteousness. You took a stand for me on the cross. You stand for me, interceding for me before the Father right now. And I want to take a stand for you. And he was baptized. Why is that such a big deal? Because that's how he knew who to persecute. The people who'd gone public. He got the list of the baptisms. The people who had gone public. And we're going to have a baptism here. We're planning one for February. We already have some people lined up. If you're ready, if you're ready to take that step, if Jesus has become your Lord, your Savior, you are now a follower of his, washed, dependent entirely on his mercy, and called to follow him and love others and him as he's called you to do. We invite you to participate. It's a glorious, wonderful thing. I want you to talk to Matt. I want you to talk to me. We're going we're gonna to do that for you. It's going to be great. So if God has laid that on your heart um, to make that clean break, as Paul did, as Saul did, um, he's Saul now. He's going to become Paul. And it's a new, new name to go with his new life. So if I get him mixed up, I'm talking about the same person. Okay, 19. And taking food, he was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. Okay, now... Why is this important? Because in verse 9, going back, we learn that when he went blind, he went to this guy's house, and he didn't eat or drink for three days. Now, the blindness, that was Jesus' idea. The not eating, he, he brought that himself. He brought that himself. Not my particular brand of, of, of waiting, not eating. You know, maybe he couldn't see, couldn't find the fridge. He could have asked somebody, you know, where is that? And then you know the freezer is to the left or up above, down below, a little bit less often, but that's where you find the Ben and Jerry's. He could have eaten. He didn't. He took physical food, and he was strengthened, and he was with the disciples for a while, and he got spiritual food. He began to live in gospel community. That's what we're called to, to do that, to be fed. And, and for some days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. Now, between 19 and 20, there is a time warp. There is a gap here. Now, for you who are Bible trivia nerds, eh, 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 uh, do you want to know what the original Greek says here? Um, if you want this, I'm going to give you a little project. You'll love this. Go in Galatians 1, 11 through 19. There might be three years between Acts 19 and Acts 20. And, and, and you can hang around with your Bible trivia nerd friends and, and talk about that. So, verse 20. And immediately Saul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. This is the turning point. This is the turning point. This is the change in heart that leads to the change in behavior. This is the ultimate turning point for Saul. This is the ultimate turning point for us to proclaim in our hearts, on our lips, with our lives, with our wills, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the turning point for our reputations. This is the turning point for our rut. This is the turning point for our habits that have choked us, that have limited us. When we could put that under the Godship, under the sovereignty, in 
objection to God as Jesus is Lord and speak that and pray that and live that. That's when we rise up. That's when we have new life. That's when our future becomes what God created us to be and not what we have made of ourselves. That was the turning point. And it's a change in heart. In verse 21, here it is. And all who heard him were amazed and said, this is not his reputation. Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem for all those who called upon the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for the purpose, for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? That was his reputation. That was his reputation. What from your past are people expecting of you? Does your wife expect you to come home and be all about you, to be all about your day, to be all about what hasn't been done for you, to be absorbed in selfishness? Do your friends expect you to be a a backstabber? Uh, I heard a guy on campus talking to another guy on campus. He's just a tease, and he's always been that way, and he will always be a tease. Kids, don't tease your friends. It's not nice. See, it's working here, it's working here. We're talking all of you. What is that thing that could change? For you who believe in Jesus, those of you who have yet to make that choice that would change in your life, that would so alter the rut that you've been in and unpack love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all of it. Because that is what's on the table. That is what is offered to you and to me this morning. That our past does not determine our future. Verse 23, but Saul increased all the more in strength, confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. See, a lot of people don't like change because it means that they can change and they should And so he had new enemies whom he would love and reach out to. In fact, these very people who would kill him. He said later in the scriptures, I would sacrifice my own salvation if they would come to know. If they would come to know what I have known. That Jesus is real. That his mercy is real. That the new life he offers is real. And the life that they have now is death. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. In a basket? Really? Now, if it was me, I'd want something that was a little more weight-bearing. Not a basket so much, maybe a Buick. You know, because the bottom of a basket. So a basket. So he's got, he's changed. His reputation has changed. He now has ransomed that at the cross. And he's received the reputation of Jesus. And he now has people who hated him, who never hated him before. And he's trying to love them to the cross, love them to the gospel, love them to Jesus. And he has a new family that is not only speaking life into him, not only pouring life into him, but saving his life. That's what we're to be to each other. That's what we're to be to the people in Haiti. That's what we're to be to the four people who were saved. That's what we're to be to the friends of those who were saved, those who were 
lost in the fire. That's who we're to be. That new family. Reputation versus spiritual reality. Your life this morning is not the sum total of the things that you've done wrong. The bad choices. Because there is a cross. Because there is a Savior who went there so that you could be forgiven and set free and receive new life. This is the good news that there is a time, there is a place, and the cross is not just 2,000 years ago. It towers over all eternity, and its power is just as real right now as it was then. And you can come there, and you can be the person other people have said you cannot be. You can be the person you have said in your mind, I can never be. You can be the person you cannot be without Jesus Christ because there is a cross and you can do what Martin Luther called the great exchange. Your sin for his faithfulness. Your despair for his hope. Your death for his life. That's what's before us. Your past need not determine your future because there is a cross. And if he can turn Saul 180 degrees, he could turn you and he could turn me around. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says this, Therefore, if anyone in Christ is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's about newness of life. It's about rejecting the past and moving on, and moving on to the glory that God has called us for. And two, and the usefulness. Just go to uh, 21, if you would, Ryan. I want to show you how much Jesus loves you, and then we'll bring it to a close. For our sake, for you, for me, Jesus, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He didn't just carry sin. As one of my friends once put it, think about the worst thing that you've ever done. You know what it is. Think about the worst thing that has ever been done to you. Okay? Think about the worst thing you've ever heard done to anybody else. Now, multiply that by the whole world and all of eternity. Jesus became that and nailed it to the cross so that he could defeat death, hell, and the grave and rise again for our salvation. My sin was there. Your sin was there. He became that so that what? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Not because of how good you are or I am or whether I steal my friend's toys or not or whether your marriage is jacked up or not or whether you're a good friend or not. But because we've come to the cross and he has forgiven us, given us new life and given to us his righteousness. That is inconceivable. It is great news. And if you were in charge, if you were in charge, if I were in charge of creating the spiritual reality that we've looked at in the scriptures, wouldn't you pick as, as Saul, as Paul, who, a guy who's going to write a lot of the Bible, wouldn't you pick somebody who's so righteous, who's such a great rule keeper that you set the bar really high, that people who come to you know that there is such a hard burden. You better live this way or else I don't love you. He didn't do that. He did the exact opposite. 
He picked a guy who, who was so jacked up, he was such the enemy of the cross, and he turned him 180 degrees so that you and I would know that no matter what has characterized our past, no matter what has formed our reputation that others have of us, or the reputation we have of ourselves, and the low thinking, and the, if he can turn Saul around, he can turn me around. He can turn you around. And the cross... And unpack for us new life that goes on for eternity. That's the good news. That's the good news. What is it for you? Some of you have broken your own hearts because you know what you've done. You know how you felt. You know how you've chosen. And you've said, I guess this is me. I'm always going to be this way. This is how my life is going to go. Uh Uh-uh. Don't bet on it. Because there is a God who loved you, who became what you fear you are, so that you could become what you never imagined you could be. That's the gospel. Broken Jacked up people like me having the righteousness of God laid upon me by grace because I come to Jesus. And whether we're followers of Jesus Christ or whether we become one this morning or not quite there yet, the invitation is come closer, turn more. He does it throughout our lives. It's called progressive sanctification. As each day, he makes us more and more and more into his image. And then when we step across the line into eternity, it's just a progression. It's just a progression of what he's already started. He who began that good work in you, the scripture says, will be faithful to complete it. He completes it. You're in a rut. He wants to lift you out. All you got to do is raise up your hand. You need not be what you've always been. Say, I have a good reputation. I have a good reputation. A lot of people do. The Pharisees had the best reputation. We call that the disease of the Pharisees. I want to just open up one more scripture for you. It's Revelation 3.1. Jesus is speaking to a church. Jesus is speaking to church people. And the angel of the church of Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is Jesus. He's speaking. That's where the quotes come from. He says, I know your works. I know what you're about. You have the reputation of being alive. But you are dead. You're putting on a spiritual show. You blend in real good with the church crowd the campus ministry group, the small group, you know what to do. You know how to say the right things. You go to Bible studies. You do this because you think that that is going to make me accept you. I have accepted you. And everything that you do from this moment on needs to be in celebration of that. I'm not trying to earn that. Others might be buying 
the lie. I'm not. There's deadness. There's deadness in the church. Come. I only reveal deadness so that I can touch it and make it alive. This is a call for those who are far from Christ and those who believe that they're right where he wants them to be. Bring your deadness. Bring your reputation. Bring your rut. He has new life. The old has passed away. Behold, he's making all things new. All that stuff we talked about, all that tragedy, all that suffering, and he's starting with people. He's starting that new creation here in your hearts. We need to respond to him once and continually to be made new and renewed and into his likeness. I need to say one more thing. There are those of you who um, have somebody in your life that you love or used to love. And the problem, the sin, is that you have defined them by their past. You have limited them by their choices and the way that they have treated you and the way that they have acted in the past. It might be your wife, it might be your husband, it might be your child, it might be your parent, it might be a friend. That is believing and living in the lie that there is no resurrection. You are holding somebody down based on their past and you have passed judgment that their future is determined by their past and that's a lie because there's a cross, because there's a savior and there's new life for your marriage and there's new life for your friendship and the old reputation is passed away. Behold, I make all things new. All you have to do to get out of the rut, to leave it behind, is raise your hand. He'll take it and he'll carry you on to the life that he created you to have. And what we do as a church is we come alongside each other in humility because we're all in that boat. And we say, let's walk together to the cross. Let's get made new. Then let's go and tell everybody there's new life for them. That's the plan. What's your response? Let's pray.